Morning. Morning to those of you watching online as well. We are talking about Send Me. That video talked about really the theme for this whole month. We started it uh, last week. If you were here, we have some panel of our global partners that were here. Lots of things going on. I want to do a quick shout out to uh, the Browncroft women who were here Friday night, um, having some fun, but really as a, as a service to the families in the Rochester City School District, one of our partners, and I think Rochester Family Mission put food bundles together, over a hundred uh, or so that were done for the city schools at, uh, when they have a break, so I just want to say a shout out to them. Other things happening this week, hope you're taking advantage. Yeah, go ahead, clap for that. And, but that's just a good example. That's the whole point of this, you know, sort of uh, three weeks, four Sundays, is to dive in, to get engaged in one way or another. You can do it at the end of this hour, too. I'll say something before we get out of here. So this conference, this experience we have titled, Send Me. Why? Well, because a couple of reasons. Number one, this idea, Send Me. Okay, it's, it's from the Bible. You might say it's at the very heart of who God is. God is a missionary God. Now, what do I mean by that? That you could say the whole Bible, if you were to read it cover to cover, and you, and you can, I mean, in, in the sense of it's meant to be a, an overarching story, and the overarching story of the Bible really is a rescue mission. That's what it is. The Bible is a rescue mission of God engaging himself in broken creation. And at the middle of it, he sends forth his son, who is also God, God the Son, to rescue humanity from um, a broken and um, empty life. That's really what the whole story is. It's a missionary. It's also, send me, the who the church is, if you carefully read the New Testament, what we're doing here today. The church is supposed to be a called-out group of people. All of us have houses in the neighborhood. All of us, you know, went to school. All of us, in other words, we're part of this world like anyone else is. We're not different. We don't have different DNA. We don't look different from anyone else in Wegmans. But Christian people are a called-out group of people. By God's grace, by God's love, by God's touch, right? We, we're, we're not better than anybody else if you're a Christian, but you are a called out group of people with a purpose, right? And the purpose, according to the New Testament, is a mission. It's to be sent. So the heart of who God is, he is a, you might want to call it a missionary God. He's defined by mission. The church is defined by mission, which means anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, um, and, and that's a, that means you've been, you've, you've been, you've received Christ by faith, right? You're a follower of Jesus. It's a, it's a one day at a time kind of thing. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been sent, right? That's really all we're talking about here. You have been sent, whether that is to somewhere across the neighborhood, somewhere across the city, or somewhere across the world, we talked about our Goldberg partners, or just across the street. To be sent is the very purpose of the church. It's the purpose of of what it means to be a Christian. So what I want to talk about here this morning, bring it home to you and to me sitting in the seats here today. A personal calling. You have a copy of the Bible. We're in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. This is the resurrected Jesus speaking to his disciples. Actually, the first time in this gospel account where the disciples actually see Jesus Jesus. Risen from the dead. 
On the evening of that first day of the week, Easter Sunday, so to speak, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What a wild and bold thing to say uh, to this uh, group of people. A personal calling. Three quick things I want to say about these few verses. Number one, a personal calling, which I think all of us have, if you're a follower of Jesus, begins with a personal encounter, right? A personal encounter. Now, this, these few verses we read, if you're a, a student of the scriptures, it's what's called in, you know, I don't know, Bible speak, the Great Commission, Okay. Now, in, in the most famous version of this is in Matthew 28. Those of you who've been in church at any length of time have heard people give sermons on Matthew 28. It's the more, it's a little more, little, there's a few more verses there when Jesus is there and he's on this mountain. He's risen from the dead. It's sort of the official launch of the church. That's why it's called the Great Commission. He says, listen, all authority has been given to me, the risen Jesus Christ. All authority, and I'm giving this authority in a manner of speaking, right? That's kind of what's going on here. It's, it's a little confusing. We'll get to it in a minute. Anyone's sins who you forgive, their sins will be forgiven. Anyone's from which you withhold forgiveness, they won't be forgiven. It's a strange language. But what Jesus says in, the, in Matthew 20 is, listen, God the Father has given me, God the Son, all this authority. I have now risen from the dead. And I am, in a manner of speaking, transferring, sharing that authority with you. And I want you to go into all the world, Right? beginning here in Jerusalem, but going all the way to the far corners of the world to share the gospel. I am sharing, this is the Great Commission. Now, in one, this is John's version, okay? Matthew's is a little bit longer. In one sense, what you hear is the grand purpose of the church. So I just mentioned it. So the Great Commission is, this is the whole purpose of the church. But in another sense in these verses, you have the true nature of what it means to be a Christian, both in the same passage. So it's the grand purpose of the church, but it's the true nature of what it means to be a Christian. Now think about this for a minute. We're talking about the 12 uh, apostles in this passage. It's clear, if you were to read this whole book, I'm talking about the book of John, and we're here at the end of it, that they believed in Jesus, right? Not only did they believe in Jesus, they've been following him all the way up to, the, to his crucifixion and resurrection, but they had even changed their behavior to a degree, if you know the story. Right? They didn't just believe in him. They didn't just go to his teachings. They didn't just follow him. But in, in some sense, I think if you remember the early, it says, when Jesus first met them, it says, they dropped their nets. They sort of stopped what they were doing. They were, they were vocational fishermen for the most part. They stopped what they were doing, and they, for a season, they left their walk of life and they began to be followers of Jesus, literally, as a rabbi following him around in uh, around 
the Sea of Galilee. So in some sense, the, their behavior had changed, yet it appears from this passage. Okay? They believed in Jesus. Some of their behaviors had changed. But it appears that the reality of the resurrection had yet to emerge in their lives with any degree of conviction. Why do I say that? On the evening of the first day of the week, the most amazing uh, thing that ever happened in the history of the world where a man rose from the dead, God's son came into the world, died for the sins of the world, he preached this message, and then he rose from the dead. These are the apostles who is, are his, are his um, close um, you know, workers, his, his followers for whom he's giving this great commission. It says, and the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. It doesn't sound to me in this moment like these are the people who the book of Acts tells us um, turned the world upside down, right? These are the people who would turn the world upside down, who would begin the church that we're continuing with today here in this moment. Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has walked on water, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, and here they are scared to death behind a locked door. It's one thing, my point, to believe in Jesus. It's one thing to believe he even died for your sin. It's quite another to be transformed by a personal encounter with him. One uh, pastor I like says these words, you can't learn anything truly spiritually valuable by being told you need to be shown. Right? And this is what happens in this passage. They're locked for fear. They have no idea what's going on. This is the first resurrection appearance. Maybe this whole thing has just been a big mess. Maybe this thing's been a big bad idea. Maybe Jesus, who we thought might be from God, we thought his words were so powerful, maybe this whole thing's just going to fade away. And Jesus comes to them behind locked doors, right, in the place of their fear, and he doesn't give them a sermon. This time he shows them his hands and his feet. They were not only marks of his suffering, but they were marks of his victory and of his love. And the degree to which this captures your imagination, my imagination, and penetrates your heart is the degree to which it will change your life. Okay? That's what you need. That's what I need. Yes, I want to know. There's lots to be learned as a follower of Jesus. But the thing that is going to change your life, to change my life, is a personal encounter. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. He, what, yes, they were excited. They were overjoyed in one sense because he'd risen from the dead. I mean, their, their friend, their, 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 their teacher, it was unbelievable. They didn't really make sense of it. It was just overwhelming as if this ever happened to you or me. But it was more than just the fact that he had risen from the dead because he told them three times he was going to rise from the dead. But I think they were overjoyed because in this moment, they realized like they had never before, their sins were all forgiven, right? With God, there is forgiveness 
And from that forgiveness, everything else flows. And until you and I learn not only the, the reality of God's forgiveness, the, the, the powerful um, reality that that is in my life, and you learn how to live out of that reality, you'll never understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You might be a Christian, you might go to heaven when you die, but you will not understand the joy and the power of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we mean, by the way, when we talk about even our mission statement, inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's an ongoing change, but it's really coming back every day to the same gospel, to experiencing the love of God. He showed them his hands. He showed them his side. That's what I need every day. That's what you need every day. The church... This one, all church, the church of Jesus, is full of a lot of Christians, I think, that are going to heaven when they die. But they're very easily offended, quick to judge, full of self-importance, bitter and lonely. Why? Because I, at times, you, at times, have been fooled into thinking there is some other way to live the Christian life than to learn how to live out of a greater appreciation of his love. Jesus came to them at this time of fear and showed them his hands, and showed him his side. I was in New York City just for a couple days this week, Monday, Tuesday, for a, just really a one-night event, but hung out with an ex, a friend of mine, and we, we were walking away from this event, just going down from one part of, uh, from Manhattan to the other, and beautiful day, I mean, sunny day, and, and these two young women um, were doing, you know, just doing, talking and trying to sell something. We, sure, we Like everyone else, we were kind of making our way around them on the corner of the street. But they were very clever, and they were asking these questions. This was their hook. Sort of questions about the state of New York, you know, or the New York City. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? And, you know, uh, you know we got caught up in it. You know, we wanted to show how smart we were or weren't, you know. So, we're, we, so eventually, next thing you know, we're, we've stopped in our motion. We're answering these questions. We're talking to them. And, you know, in a sense, they had us. But then she did this pivot. It was so quick and so, and she went from this fun and, and interesting kind of thing, and she, and she moved us a little closer. They had a little table there on the, on the street corner, and she turned and she asked me a, a very serious question. And she said, can I ask you a, another question? And she turned this piece of paper, and what they were doing was raising money for breast cancer research. Okay. which you had no idea that was where they were going, right? And she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, because we were answering questions. And she said, she asked me two or three questions about you know, uh, the history uh, or, or the, the, the data of breast cancer, people, what it costs, and I, I had no answers for any of these questions. And then she began to talk about how there are many people who don't have insurance, this, that, and the other thing. She flips the sheet over and says, which level are you? can you help me with today? And now I'm in. Where am I going? You know, she's not looking. And I said, so I said, okay, I know I took the lowest level. No, but I mean, I, but the point is, I don't know if this woman had breast cancer. I'm going to guess that she didn't. She could have, of course, but um, she was so young. Her and her two friends, they, they, I think they were in their early 20s. But I'll bet you this. I could be wrong. I'll bet you she's had a personal encounter with it. Right? Maybe her mother, maybe her sister, maybe her aunt. She's had a personal encounter with it. And I thought to myself as I walked away, what would this world look like if followers of Jesus, like me and you, 
had half of her passion about seeing the hands and scars of Jesus and sharing the gospel of message with, uh, with people who don't know it. How important, maybe the question of this sermon, to our needy and hurting generation that Jesus is recognized by his scars. That's what people need. They need to know that he loves them, that he's died to forgive them of their sins. So, one, a personal calling begins with a personal encounter. Have you had one? And do you need another one? Second, a personal calling will change the direction of your life. But the personal calling will change the direction of your life. If you were here last Sunday, Mark Shaw, who's one of our global partners, who he and his wife spent 35 years uh, doing a training and leadership development in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. And he said, listen, for my whole life, what I've done a lot in my faith is to fail to make the distinction between expectancy and expectations. Between expectancy and expectations. He goes, what are expectations? I love this metaphor. He said, expectations are a, a, a list of things that are on the refrigerator of my heart that I expect and want God to fulfill. But what happens in my faith, I have this list of expectations that I want God to fulfill. God, I discovered over the course of my life that God has his own agenda. Right? God has his own thing that he wants to do in my life. And he says, there were times in my life where I, was, I would go into this sort of, he used the word, death spiral because I was so disappointed that God wasn't doing what I thought he wanted to do. And he said, what changed it for me was I came to a place and said, I no longer have expectations. I just want to have an expectancy. And he asked this question, what would happen? I said to myself, if I let God choose for me what he wanted to do in my situation, what he wanted to do in my... He goes, and that has changed everything. I have a faith now, not of expectations, but a faith of expectancy. If you don't live, my, this is Jesus' uh, point here, but in many places in the New Testament, if you don't live for something bigger than yourself, that's what the disciples are being challenged with here. It's what I'm being challenged with here, which I hope you're being challenged with here. Something bigger than your wants, bigger than your needs, than, your tr- than just uh, last, th- th- than happiness, then happiness will elude you. In fact, if God chose to satisfy all the desires on the refrigerator of your heart, you, it might even crush you, okay? Perfect example from the last several days. Many of you have heard, I'm sure, about the death of the actor Matthew Perry last Saturday, found dead in his home. Last I know, anyway, it was not revealed uh, the actual cause of his death, but he had a long history of some uh, a drug or alcohol abuse, I think he had beat it, and they're, and they're still trying to figure out what it is. But because of this you know, sad moment, it's been all over uh, you know, uh, the internet and other things, all of these interviews. And there's one very famous interview, I'd be surprised if, if most of you hadn't seen it, but it's worth talking about. And he said, listen, when I was 24 years old, he said, one of the first times I ever prayed, I got down on my knees, and I prayed with all of my heart and said, God, make me famous 
and he said, if you make me famous, um, I'll do whatever you want me to do with my life. He said, three weeks later, he got the call for Friends, that television show Friends. And he said, for six months, my life was unbelievable. He said, I was living, because he's from Canada, he goes, I was living the American dream. It's almost verbatim, if you haven't seen it. He said, I had a beautiful home. He's, you know, just a struggling actor before. I had a beautiful home. I had a beautiful automobile. I had a pool. I had a job that I loved. He said, for about six months. And after six months, I realized it wasn't fixing what was really going on inside of me. And he, he quoted, he said, Jim Carrey said, this, now this, this interview, he was, this could have been five years ago. He said, Jim Carrey, I love this quote. He said, he said all we, that I think about, he said, when all your, he says, my hope, my prayer, Jim Carrey said, is that all your dreams, not to Matthew Perry, but to people in general, that all your dreams will come true so you can realize one day that those dreams are not the answer, right? Really echoing in a manner of speaking, the words of Jesus, right? When Jesus Christ said to his disciples, you know, um, he that finds his life will lose it. He that loses his life for my sake will find it. He wasn't trying to, to, to be a killjoy. He wasn't trying to say, um, put down all the good things in life and come and, and, and take your lumps with me. That's not what he was saying. He's trying, he was telling you and telling me the true meaning of life. Saying, listen, the things of this world, right, there's a purpose for them. Enjoy them for what they are, but they will never satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. They will never satisfy the deepest needs of your life. You have to be about something bigger than yourself. That's what Jesus is calling these disciples to. It's what he's calling you and me to. We bring life to others, somebody said, to the degree to which we give up our own. That's what Jesus is really saying. We bring life to others, true life to the degree to which we give up our own, that is, our own small ambitions. Let God move your, move your life from a series of expectations. I'm a Christian. God, these are the four things that I want. These are good things. I deserve these things. Get rid of your list of expectations and, allow, and have a faith of expectancy and allow God to do in your life or to do in my life what he wants to do to give you something that is bigger than you and then we can bring life to others. That's what he's really calling people to do. That's what he's calling the church to do. That's what he's calling you and me to do. Wherever you live your life, right? To bring life to others, we bring life to others to the degree, to the degree we give up our own. Now that is not a call, by the way. This is a court of a missions season, right? We're talking about our our, our partners, you'll see some today, local partners and global partners. But this call, send me, is not a call to become a vocational Christian worker called a missionary uh, in some foreign field only, but to be a real Christian on mission wherever you live your life today, in your office, in your high school, in your neighborhood. You know what's interesting about the 12 disciples, as I was thinking about this passage? You know, the church all started here. We look at the book of Acts. We'll do this in, this, in, the, in the new year. You know, it goes all the way to the ends of the earth in those days, which was the Roman Empire. Um, but the 12 apostles who are in this passage 
with the exception of Peter, who has one little journey to Caesarea and back, which is like going from Russia to Buffalo, <laughs> not even. All right, the 12 disciples live their whole life. They never leave the city of Jerusalem. But I think they answered what Jesus asked them to do. Okay? It's not about getting on an airplane. It's about being a real Christian wherever God has you. It's about seeing your environment, your neighborhood, your office, your high school, whatever the case, with new eyes as a place where God has sent you. And you may only be there for a year. You may only be there for four years. You may only be there for a short period of time. That doesn't matter, right? Here am I, send me. As the Father had sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. It's a way to understand what it means to be a Christian. So one, our personal calling begins with a personal encounter. Two, a personal calling will change the direction of your life, right? It should, whether you move from your home, your, your town or not. And lastly, our calling, plural, the church, is to share the gospel with others. The resurrection, which is what we're looking at here, certainly has personal implications, right, for all of us. But Jesus' vision in this passage and in most of the New Testament is not of a a multitude of inspired individuals going off and doing this and that, but of a community that is bound together by a common participation in the Spirit sent forth to gather, to use his metaphor, his lost sheep in every corner of the world. Okay? That's the purpose. And that's really what's going on in this passage. You're meant to, it's supposed to throw you, you know, or pique your, your imagination. Again, Jesus says for the second time, peace be with you. Right? They need, they need two, two versions of that because they're so full of fear. They're so full of anxiety. The doors are locked. And Jesus says a second time, take a breath. Look at my hands. Look at my side. I've done everything there needs to be done. And it's for you and it's for others. Peace be with you. Then he says, and he breathed on them. Or excuse me, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Think of how powerful that is. There's no graduate school, there's no go to seminary, there's no get your act together, there's not, you know, 10 years of this or 10 years of that. He's saying, listen, as the Father sent me into the world, now you know a little bit about that, I am now sending you, okay? I am now sending you. There's not two commissions There's one mission. There's the mission of the Son in the world for the short period of time and the continuation of that message through the church, through people like you and me. He didn't give the disciples a brand new mission. It's a continuation of the one he had. But he said, listen, what you need to do it is you need my power in your life. And you're meant to see in this last, in the 22nd verse. And then he breathed on them And said, receive my Holy Spirit. Right? There's no question that the same verb is used in the 22nd verse as is used in Genesis chapter 2. I'm sure Jesus is evoking this. Is saying, listen, remember when God created the world 
And Genesis 2 says, and he breathed into, we don't know exactly what this means, this is a metaphor, this is what actually happened, but he breathed into Adam and he became a living being. And he's saying, that's what's happening here. Jesus is a new creation, it's a new humanity. And he's saying, listen, this is what you need. This is what I need. You need a personal encounter with Jesus. You need to be transformed by his love. There is forgiveness with God, and out of it flows everything else. That's the only thing that will change your life. And then it's the Spirit of God in your life and in my life which brings these realities to life, that releases them in your mind, releases them in your heart, releases them in your words, right? And then look how he ends the passage. So powerful. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now you're ready for do something. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Here's what we know. Jesus is clever. He's trying, to, he's trying to slow you down and slow me down, slow these men down. Listen, I want you to think about what I've called you to do. Now, is what Jesus is saying is that I, you, or even the disciples, we have the power now to forgive sin. Well, of course he's not saying that because that would contradict everything in the New Testament, right? There's only one who can forgive sin, God alone. Those are, those are direct uh, uh, words of Jesus in John's Gospel. No one can forgive sin but God alone. But what he is saying, he's using these words in a, in a way to force us to think, to say, listen. What he is saying is, in a way, I want you to see and appreciate your own calling. That in our everyday sharing of the gospel, our everyday sharing of the gospel has eternal consequences. He's saying, listen, you just speak it, I'll make it so. And I don't know and you don't know in whether it's the people in your high school, whether it's the people in your neighborhood, wherever you work, you and I have no idea what's going on in the human heart. You and I have no idea of the invisible transaction that happens in the heart of a human being. But he's saying, listen, in a manner of speaking, you, with the power of the gospel connected to me, your words have eternal consequences. Let me tell you from my own life story. I mean, I'm a minister. You think, well, gee, Rob, I hope as a minister you share the gospel here and there, and you've seen a person or two come to faith, and I have, whether it's in a, in a, in a group, you know, I'm in a room or in a church setting, and, and people receive Christ, or in individual um, conversations I have. It's part, perhaps part of what it means to be in the ministry. But I would say this, over my 25 years or so of ministry, there's been a few times where I have sat in the back seat or front seat of a car uh, or, or over in, in a living room with a, with, a, with a personal friends of mine that I went to high school with, okay, that I knew when I was a kid, and all these years go by, and sat there, one thing led to another, long relationship come to fruition, and sat there and talked with them and answered some questions, saw God work in their heart, invited them to come to Christ, have seen people I know right in the front seat of the car come to know Christ. And I'll tell you what, it's the most joyful and satisfying thing. And, and if this is all true, okay, I believe it is, but if this is all true and I get to heaven someday, those couple re relationships, seeing those friends, I promise you, will be the greatest joy of my entire life. Okay, That's what Jesus is talking about. This isn't a prideful thing. This is a humble thing. He's saying, listen, what God has, as the Father has sent me, 
I'm sending you. And this is the beauty of the church. You say, well, I'm, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a thousand places I will never travel in my life. It's okay. God has people there. But he has you where he has you. And he's saying, all I want you to do, right, is to share the message of the gospel, is to point people, okay? As I said, what? How important to our needy and hurting generation that Jesus be recognized by his scars. That's what people need. Especially in a world that's so confused and so full of a lot of confusion about what it means to be in a relationship with God and working your way to heaven. You shouldn't do this and you can't do this. It's all about God's love. With God, there is forgiveness, and from that, everything else flows. And if that truth captures your heart and that truth captures your imagination, that God loves you and you learn how to live out of that, God can do amazing things in your life and do amazing things. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So we're going to prepare to do this right now, but I want to read a verse of Scripture from the book of Psalms. Listen to these words. I think a great summary even of this passage and how to apply it. It says these words. The 130th Psalm. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Isn't that a great uh, 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 um, word? I just, I just literally read these verses yesterday. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Many people do not come to Christ because they say, I got no business with God. My life is such a mess. My life is, I've so far off the trail. I've done things that are so uh, completely um, unacceptable. I have ruined any chance. I'm, I'm, too, I'm beyond hope. If you kept a record of sins, who could stand? You know, the same goes true for a lot of us. Even those of you, know Christ is your Savior, you've been a Christian for a while, but you've fooled yourself into thinking that what it means to grow, there, there's another way to be a Christian. But there isn't. And when you, when, when you fool yourself into thinking there's another way to grow as a Christian, you begin to grow a calloused heart. You begin to become judgmental. You begin to become bitter even, right? And what you need and what I need is a fresh encounter with Jesus, right? That's what this is, right? If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? The end, It's a rhetorical question. Nobody could. Nobody could. Nobody comes to God on their own merits. But with you... There is forgiveness. People say, is the gospel in the Old Testament? Those words were written a thousand years before Jesus Christ was born. Of course, there's, the whole Bible is about God's grace. But with you, there is forgiveness so that, one of the great so that's in the Bible, we can with reverence serve you. Okay? God is calling you calling me, every single one of us, and your sin is not an excuse because if your sin was the problem, no one could stand before him. But with God, there is forgiveness. What It means not just once, every day of my life I come to the well. He shows me his, 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 his hands and his, and his feet and he says, I love you. I died for you. You are forgiven. And out of forgiveness, everything else flows. And then, even a sinner like me, even a sinner like you, with reverence, can serve him. So I want you to just take a minute, privately, quietly, 
in your seat and invite him, that is God, Jesus, to show you in your mind, in your heart, his hands and his side. What do I mean by that? Is to, is to say to yourself, back to even what Mark Shaw said, has your faith become a list of expectations? Let them go, right? And allow your faith to be, just lay your whole life at, in your heart before God and say, listen, Lord, I just want to help me to see and appreciate and to understand the grace of God, which is at the heart of my faith. In a manner of speaking, show me your scars, right? Show me your side. Capture my imagination afresh. I need a fresh personal encounter with the love of God today, right? This is what this is about. So take just a minute, just quietly in your seat and ask God in your own words if there's anything you need to confess to him, to acknowledge to him uh, before him today. Ask him for a fresh encounter. Have a fresh encounter with him in just a few seconds. We will share in this table together. Pull off the piece of clear plastic from your cups. Take the bread in your hand. On the night he was betrayed, this last supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body or represents my body which will be broken for you. Let us eat together. When supper was ended, he took the cup and he passed it and said, this cup represents the new covenant, new agreement, new reality, right, um, that will be cut, which will be realized tomorrow in the shedding of my blood. Um, right? That's what his hands and his side were about. He died for your sin. Um, let us drink together. Let's pray. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, just um, with a fresh 
um, appreciation of um, a greater appreciation of what it is that you have done in Jesus what you have done in the death and resurrection of your son Lord how you've really created a whole new humanity a whole new world beginning with your forgiveness help us Lord every one of us here wherever our we find ourselves this morning to be drawn back into the heart of our faith which is the forgiveness with God there is forgiveness of sin and from this forgiveness everything else flows help us Lord to know that this morning help us Lord to um, reflect to um, receive and to be changed by your love with you there is forgiveness so that with reverence we can now serve you and I pray Lord for every one of us today wherever we head out to wherever we do our lives even this week help us to see the world differently help us to see ourselves Lord uh, differently Help us to see our relationship with you differently, not where we are always coming to you simply to meet our needs, but with confidence in your love to want to be a need meter, so to speak, to want to help, Lord, um, simply share the simple message of the gospel with those around us, Lord that you are calling into an eternal relationship with yourself. Help us, God, to see ourselves differently. Lord, as the Father has sent you, you are sending us. Help us to, to realize that, Lord, today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.